your Bibles, turn with me. Um, this morning we're going to be looking in um, the book of Nehemiah. We'll be looking at verses 8, or chapter 8, verses 1 um, through 9, and then we'll flip over to chapter 9 at the end of our message this morning. We're in the middle of our Believe series. Um, we've been doing this now since January. Today we'll be looking at our 13th different message in this series. Two weeks ago, we focused in on worship, how we are to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Last week, we looked at prayer, and we began talking about our need as a faith family, as a nation, and as a world, our need for revival. And this morning, we're going to continue that. You know, last week, we looked at 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. It says, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We need a revival. And revival begins when God's people pray. As we look here at Second Chronicles seven fourteen, when you and I humble ourselves, When you and I seek the Lord, and when you and I turn from our sins, the Lord answers. And the Lord says that he will hear us, that he will forgive us, and that he will heal our land. Revival begins when you and I pray. And we need a revival, don't we? Does everybody agree with that this morning? We need a revival. We need a revival as individuals. We need a revival as a, a corporate body, as a body of believers. We need a revival across these cities, across this state, across our nation, and around this world. We need a revival, and revival will not happen, and it will not begin until God's people pray. Revival begins not only when we pray, but when we return to God's word. Back in January, we focused in one of our core doctrines that we looked at was the Bible. And we talked about how God's word is more than just ink on a page. It is literally breath on a page. And I pray that since that message, some of you, as you have opened up God's word, you realize this is more than just ink on a page. It truly is breath on a page on a page. Faith family, God's word is alive. The Bible is not some archaic book that you and I put on our shelves or pulled down from our shelves. Scripture says in Hebrews 4.12 that God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive and it is active and it is useful. It is beneficial and it has ability to radically change our lives. Now, I'll never forget whenever I was a college freshman, two buddies um, and myself formed an accountability group. And within this accountability group, there were three things that we made a commitment that we were going to do every single week. Number one, we were going to study God's word every single day. 
Number two, we were going to commit to memorize at least one scripture each week. And the third thing that we were going to commit to do is to share the plan of salvation with at least one person every single week. And the punishment, if we didn't do that, was going to be flogging and stoning of of the other guys. I'm just kidding when I say that, but we did have, um, we did require one another if we did not do one or all of those things that the other two guys were going to identify a book and we had to do basically a book research on our book report on that. And so we, we had fun with it, but we were all also challenged by it. I'll tell you right now, there's never been a period in my life that I've grown as much as I did during those two years where these men held me accountable and they challenged me to be a better man. Even today, man, I remember the time that we had and how we held each other accountable. I still stay in contact with these two men. They're dear brothers in the faith. Both of them are pastors. Both of them love Jesus and both of them reach back to the the time when we were in college and remember the days of holding each other accountable. You and I need to hold each other accountable around God's word. We need to study it. We need to apply it. And we need to do what it says all of the times. Faith family, God's word has, God has given us his word for our benefit. It is our instruction manual for life. It illuminates our path. It is the sword that guarantees us success in battle when we handle it correctly. However, if we take the word of God for granted or lose sight of the instructions and conditions within it, there will be consequences. Our message point this morning is this, God's word revives us. God's word revives us. When a revival occurs, there is a great hunger and thirst for the word of God. That was incredibly evident during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. The Israelites had returned from Babylonian captivity for nearly a hundred years. They are, they were in captivity for 70 years. For nearly a hundred years, the people tried to fortify the city of Jerusalem. And finally, once it was fortified, the people come together, and that leads us to our passage this morning, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Read with me together, or read together with me this morning. And it says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah, and on his right hand, and Padiah, Michelle, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, 
Zechariah, Meshulam, and on his left side. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hananan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave this sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. First point this morning is notice this. God's word unifies us. God's word unites us. To truly understand what led Ezra to read from the word of God, we need to briefly look back at history's past. We need to look back to the days of King David and King Solomon. Last week I shared with you that during the reign of King David and King Solomon, there was no greater nation on the planet than Israel. They were a strong nation, they were a mighty nation, and they were by far the strongest nation on earth at the time. Upon the completion of the first temple, Solomon prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel for God to remember them during their times of sin. We looked at how Solomon by far was the wisest man to ever walk on the planet. So we know that Solomon knew the people that God had entrusted him to look over. He knew their sin nature, and he knew that, that this people would return to their wicked past. So what does Solomon do? Solomon prays on behalf of the people of Israel. He intercedes on their behalf. And 13 years later, the Lord would answer King Solomon's prayer. He tells Solomon that if the people, his people, seek his face, pray and repent, then he will hear them, forgive them, and heal their land. However, if they did not repent, then there is the promise that the Lord would punish them and send them back into exile. And we have this promise in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses is instructing the people in the area of the law. They had just been delivered from, from um, Egypt. They had just been delivered from exile. And, and Moses tells the people that if they do not follow God's law, they would return again to a period of exile. In Isaiah 39, Isaiah prophesies that the Israel would be plundered by Babylon and the people would be taken as slaves. Jeremiah prophesies in Jeremiah 29.10 that their time of enslavement would be 70 years. The people of Israel, they knew the consequences for their disobedience but they chose to rebel against God anyway. So during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon 
became the world superpower. Just as Moses and Isaiah prophesied, the king of Babylon plundered the land of Israel, destroyed King Solomon's temple, plundered the land, and took all but a small remnant of people into captivity, brought them all into Babylon. All this happened because the nation of Israel turned away from God. They turned away from the commands and the precepts of the Lord. So they were punished for their sin. They would spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Following the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Persians become the world superpower and they defeat the Babylonians. Under King Cyrus, the Israelites are, 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 are granted permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The people would return in three waves. The first group would return to rebuild the temple. Eighty years later, Ezra would return to the land to bring about spiritual reform. And then some 20 years after that, Nehemiah would return to help rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So think about this. For almost 200 years, the people of Israel are without their homeland. And all of this happened because of the people's sin. So what do the people do once they come back into the city? Once the temple is rebuilt and the walls are rebuilt, what do they do? They gather together. And what do they gather around? They gather around the word of God. In 8.1, Nehemiah 8.1, we read, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. I love this picture here. There is one body. They are one body. The picture of a band of brothers and sisters that have come together to acknowledge their great need for the Lord God. Faith family, my prayer for each and every one of us week in and week out is that we come together as the body of Christ for the purpose of studying and hiding God's word in our heart. May we come together week in and week out as one body of believers committed to God's word and committed to being a unified group. In Romans 12, 5, Paul said, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are one body and we need to see ourselves connected to one another as the church of Jesus Christ. The people also had but one desire. They had one desire. The people gathered together and they asked Ezra to read from the law of Moses. This is big, folks. Throughout Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 12, the word people is used 13 different times. This is significant because Ezra, the writer of Nehemiah, wanted the focus of this section of Scripture to be on the people's need for God and their response to 
God. Revival always begins when God's people recognize their great need for God. You realize that, right? Revival will not happen in this faith family. It will not happen across these cities, across our state, across this nation, and across this world until we as a body of Christ recognize our great need for God's word. And that's exactly what the Israelites recognized when God's word was opened before them. If you and I want to experience revival, then we need to ask the Father to begin revival in us. Last week I shared with you about Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was a revivalist, and before he ever entered into a city to preach a revival, he would always draw a circle on the outside of that city. He would step inside that circle and say, God, begin revival right now here. If you and I want to experience revival, we must ask the Father to begin revival in us. And as a result of the fires of revival lighting and being ignited in us, guess what? It's going to spread to other people. We need a revival. A revival, though, cannot be planned It cannot be scheduled. It cannot be conjured up. It cannot be fabricated. A revival will only begin when you and I humble ourselves and pray and repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And only then will the Lord hear us and forgive us and heal our land. Notice what verse 6 says. I mean, verse 3, I'm sorry, in Nehemiah 8. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra read from the book of the law from early morning to midday. That is about six hours of reading From God's word. God's word always leaves us wanting more. I love what we read in Matthew chapter 5, 6. Jesus, as he talked to the crowd and taught the crowd. In the Sermon on the Mount, we read in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you hunger for more of God? Do you hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, that you and I would have the same kind of hunger that King David had. In Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, we read, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When you and I are walking with the Lord. When you and I are hungry for God's word, we have a passion to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You and I are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The people of Israel were in the middle of revival, and they wanted as much of God's word as they possibly could get. You and I, you know how I know we're not in the middle of a revival? Because you and I squirm in our seats whenever 
I go 30, 35. Man, God forbid if I ever hit that 40-minute mark as I preach on Sunday morning. These people were in the middle of revival. For six hours, God's word was open, and they studied it. You and I need to return to the word of God because revival always begins when there is a hunger for God's word. So point number one is God's word unifies us. Point number two is this. God's word compels us. It compels us as a body of believers to get prepared. We read in verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform and they, that they had made for the purpose. The people of God took the time to build a platform in order for all the people to have a chance to hear the word of God preached. This building right here has been built so that you and I can come together week in and week out for the purpose of studying the word of God and being equipped by the word of God. God has given us these walls and this roof for the purpose of training and equipping. Let's not take that for granted. Let's not look at this place as just another building. Let's see this as our equipping center because that is what these church buildings are for to equip us. This is a place that we come together to be trained, equipped, refueled, encouraged, and strengthened. This is a place where we come together as the church to take care of one another, to pray for one another, to cry with one another, to celebrate with one another, to strengthen one another. Iron sharpens iron. Faith family, we have not even begun to tap into what I believe that God is wanting us to accomplish here at Friendship Baptist Church within these buildings. On Sunday morning, we have several of our classrooms in this building right here that sit empty in need of people to fill them. Over in building B, there's an entire section that is yet to be renovated. I long for the day that we're able to renovate that because that shows that we are running out of space. God has given us these buildings in these rooms, not so that they can sit empty on Sunday morning, but so that they can be filled on Sunday morning, on Wednesday nights, and throughout this week. This is our equipping center, and we need to see it as such. These buildings have been built by many of you sacrifice building these buildings so that we could be prepared and equipped. So they get prepared to hear the word of God. Notice the people's posture. In verse 5, we read, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened up, opened it, all the people stood. As he opened it, all the people stood. That leads me to believe that potentially these people could have stood for as long as six hours so that God's word could be read and so that that could be preached and studied. Out of reverence for the word of God, the people stood up. What you and I hold in our hands is the very word of God. It is more than than just ink on a page. It is breath on a page. It is living and active. It is our instruction manual. It is our roadmap. It illuminates our path. This Bible leads us to holy living. It guides us to guide others through the direction of the Holy Spirit to faith in Christ. This is not just another book that's on our bookshelves. It's not just a book that we pull down once a week. But this right here has the 
potential to radically change us every single day of our lives. I will never forget whenever I was in college. And I'm going to have to confess right now that, um, you know, I've had moments in my life where I've turned to people and said, man, you better watch out. Lightning may strike you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever told somebody that lightning might strike you? There was a professor that I had in college. And as a result of something that he did, I thought to myself, man, lightning may strike right here in this place, right here in this college room. This professor was trying to teach us that I don't even remember what he said. I have to confess that because what he did just appalled me as, as, a, as a young Christian. Um, he was trying to teach us, I think, that, that God's word is just a book unless it's applied to our lives. And so as he taught us in this class, he took God's word and he literally threw it across the room. And, and when he did that, man, my heart just sunk. Man, here I was, just some young 19, 20-year-old guy, and I saw this man throw God's word across the room. I want you to know right now what is contained between these two pieces of leather have the potential. It has the potential to make us holy, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and to make us an unstoppable force. This is not just a book. This is God's word, and we are to study it, and we are to apply it to our lives every single day. When we read it, study it, digest it, and apply it daily to our lives. God will radically change us. In James 1, 22, James told his readers, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't let the word of God enter in one ear and come right out the other ear. One of our core values, as you know, around here is the word of God. In Acts 2.42, we read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have to come together week in and week out also in our private um, study places, whether that's at your work, whether that's in your home, wherever it might be, we need to come together to be strengthened and encouraged by God's Word. You've heard me say this before. I don't know who the writer of this is. But when we hear the Word of God, it gets into our head. When we discover the Word of God, it gets into our heart. When we apply the Word of God, it gets into our hands. You and I need to be people of the Word because when we become people of the Word, we will be individuals that are able to change this world for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what led to Israel's demise? They stopped devoting themselves to the teaching and the reading and the studying and the applying of the Word of God. You know what's led to America's demise? We have stopped allowing ourselves to be devoted to the Word of God. We've stopped... um, devoting ourselves to the teaching of the Word, to the reading of the Word, and we have stopped applying the Word of God to our lives. You know why we've done that? Because in the 21st century, somehow, some reasons, I don't know why, we've deemed that God's Word is irrelevant. God's Word is not irrelevant. God's Word has the ability to literally change people's lives. Third point this morning is this. God's Word instructs us. God's Word instructs us. Beginning in verse 6, we read, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We're going to skip these names because I butchered them the first time. I'm not going to butcher them again. Um, and, And it says that these men... And the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book 
from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understand the reading. God's word instructs us. God's word has been given to us for our benefit. It has been given to us for instruction. It instructs us and reveals to us how we are to live our lives. The people of Israel had literally gone hundreds of years without God's instruction. It led to their ruin. Yet God remembered Solomon's prayer. And when the people of Israel returned to the Lord, he heard them, he forgave them, and he healed their land. Israel was no longer a laughingstock. They were no longer the laughingstock of the surrounding nations. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls had been rebuilt. And the glory of the Lord and his presence was back amongst the people. Israel, once again, is a fortified nation protected by the presence of God Almighty. You and I come into this place week in and week out in order to be instructed in the word of God. I want you to know right now, I do not take my job as your pastor lightly. I pray diligently week in and week out for God to give me the ability to, to be able to interpret his word and instruct all of us in the area of righteousness. You and I have been given God's word for the purpose of instruction. Faith family, we need a revival. We need a revival. And revival will only begin when God's people pray. And when you and I begin to pray, guess what happens? We return to God's word and we allow God's word to revive us. You and I need to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You and I need to be like King David, where we just long for more and more of God's word. Continuing in our, our, our message this morning, in our scripture, following the reading of the word of God and having the word of God interpreted, the people of Israel begin to weep and they begin to cry out. They cry out because they recognize that they are sinful people. But so, um, Nehemiah and Ezra tell the people, that now is not the time for crying. Today is a day of celebration. And so the people celebrate. I mean, they enter into a time of revival where they celebrate. They celebrate around the word. They celebrate around meals together during the Feast of Tabernacles. But once this feast is over, the people once again come together. And they come together for the purpose of reading and studying God's word. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we read, Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel, were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. They came together again. Notice what brought them together. It was the word of God that brought them together. They came to hear the word of God. They came to allow the word of God to transform them. And as a result of reading and studying the word of God, they repented of their sins. They cried out to the Lord 
and they began to get their lives right with the Lord once again. What do you need to do this morning? What is it that you need to do this morning in order to get right with God? What is it going to take for you and for me to experience the kind of revival that God is wanting us to experience? For some of you in this room, it may be that you need to get saved. You may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. And scripture says that if you do that, you will be saved. If you repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, God's word promises us that you will be saved. That you will be delivered from the pits of hell if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So you may be here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if there's a decision you need to make, I invite you to come. If you do not know Jesus, if you don't know where you would spend eternity, you come. You may be here this morning and, and the Lord is just really doing a work in your life. And there is unconfessed sin in your life that you need to confess before the Father. You may need to come and kneel at this altar and just on bended knee cry out to God to forgive you of whatever that sin is in your life that you need to seek forgiveness for. You may need to come before the Father this morning and just say, God, I've neglected your word. And I'm making this commitment, I'm making this vow that I'm going to return to your word. And I'm going to study it on a daily basis. You may need to come this morning. You may be visit, have visited this church for a while, and today is the day that the Lord is leading you to join this faith family. And if that's you, we invite you to come as well. What I want us to do is I want us to stand together. And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. If you need to kneel at this altar, you come and kneel at this altar. If you need to come and, and just... Uh, come to get saved, I'm going to be here and love to share with you how you can get saved. If you need to come this morning um, and you just need somebody to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now this morning, Lord, just acknowledging our great need for you. Father, our great need for revival, our great need to return to your word, Father. Lord, we have the promise in Scripture that if we humble ourselves and pray, then you're going to hear our our prayers. If we humble ourselves and repent of our sins, you're going to forgive us of our sins. If we humble ourselves in Lord Jesus, you are going to heal our land. And Father God, we come before you humbly this morning asking you to do those very things, Lord Jesus. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our failures. Forgive us of those things that have caused us, Lord Jesus, to walk in the ways of this world and not walk in the ways of the Lord. Father, this morning, Lord, there's some, or all of us, Lord, we need to make a commitment, Father, that we need to return to your word with diligence. Father, not just to read your word out of, out of, um, out of a, a sense of, of um, this is something that I just do as a Christian. But, Father, we need to read your word knowing that it is living and active and it has the potential to radically change our lives and the lives of others. And, Father, may we read your word as it is, Father, as the breath that it is, as the power that it is. And, Father, we pray that it will transform us, Lord Jesus. Father, just move now. Father, if there's someone that needs to come and trust you as their Lord and Savior this morning, may they do that. They need to come and just kneel at this altar. May they do that, Lord. Just move now during our time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.